Welcome to the Rise Network podcast show, a podcast dedicated to help you reach your dream lifestyle through investing in real estate. We're going to be sitting down with new, intermediate, and experienced investors to talk all about real estate and how it has changed their lives. If you're looking to scale your portfolio or even just get into real estate investing, you're in the right place. Make sure to tune in. Hello, everyone. You are listening to the Rise Real Estate Investing Podcast with your host, Austin Ye and... Mayu, what's going on, everybody? This is our second time doing the edit because apparently the first time my mic fucked up. So, um, Austin... Which doesn't make sense because we have the same... We have the exact same mic. <laughs> yeah, I know. But because, because like me and my wife, we share an office room. So sometimes I'll take the podcast from like our kitchen countertop and sometimes I'll take it from our office room. And I think the mic reacts differently when it's in an open space versus in a, in an office. Room. We don't, Anyways, we don't need to hear you explain excuses yeah, right yeah, now. Yeah, <laughs> As I was explaining, I was like, no one really gives a fuck about our mic. No one does. So. <laughs> yeah, I just want the audio to sound good. Um, Mayu, what's been going on with you? Let's flip it around this time. I asked first. <laughs> um, with me, we, we finally got the flip back up. Um, obviously there's negative stereotypes on the property now. So it's going to be interesting to see how we sell that one. Um, it's priced competitively. So like, I'm not too concerned. It just, like, I really don't want this thing to take like a month to sell. I'd rather just move it fast, but we'll see what happens. Um, so the flip is live. Um, other than that, the mortgage business, uh, you and I have talked multiple times about offline, like that probably takes up majority of my day. Um, and I'm trying to essentially hire someone for it right now. I called it a mortgage mortgage operation specialist. So I'd rather hire someone that I know, but you know what, if, if like I have to put on like Indeed and job boards and stuff like that, um, so be it. But if anyone in the podcast is interested, shoot me a message on Instagram and I'll send you over the job description. But Austin, you're the one with the wait, 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 wait. We're not finished off yet with that flip. I just quick question. So for those who forgot what happened exactly with that flip, what do you mean that it's being relisted? Yeah. So, so there was some pest control issue, right? And then we, we knew we had a, a small plumbing issue where the drain wasn't like draining as like fast as we wanted it to. Right. Um, so then when we took down the MLS listing, cause there was essentially we think it was like mice droppings on like a carpet, right? So uh, we took it down. We hired a pest control company to come and put like a shit ton of traps all around the house and the exterior um, to just see if there was like rodents, right? And then uh, that would take a week anyways, right? So the guy came, dropped all the traps, all that kind of stuff. Um, and then a week later, like all the traps inside the house were like untouched. The exterior traps had like a couple like nibbles on like the poison, I guess, right? But that's exterior, so it doesn't really matter. And so like pest control was fine, all good. And then meanwhile, because we knew we were taking it down, we had a week anyways, we got a plumber in to address the plumbing issue. And then we realized it was like, essentially like, I think this is my understanding of it. It's kind of like a lot of grease and like buildup in like the old, like main stack pipe. So he ended up like replacing part of the main stack and now like the plumbing issue is fixed as well. So uh, we did that, but then there's a whole lot of like byproducts of that, right? Like if you now like cut up the pipes in the basement and like now your basement has like sawdust all over the place. And like when he was like draining the pipe, there was like a puddle that formed in the, on the basement and like all the stupid shit um, that we then just had to address. But it took about like a week and a half to two weeks almost just like taking it down, addressing this stuff and putting it back up on the market. Yeah, that's not, that doesn't sound too fun. Um, in retrospect, is that something that you would kind of... Um do it while the the listing is live or do you no. think that it makes sense to take it off Dude, if you went if and saw notable? like a nice if you went and saw like a nice turnkey house that was beautifully staged and it had rat traps all over the place i'd be like 
get the fuck out. Like, I'm not <laughs> that's hilarious. No, that's very true. You'd feel like the flipper cut corners, which yeah, is, yeah. Uh, I, I guess, a common thing with a lot of uh, consumers when they looked at a flip property, they might think that the person who was doing it cut corners. Yep. Very true. And so how's your, how's your flip going? You guys, you guys did like a full gut right now, right? Yes. On, on the topic of flips, um, in, in terms of our flip, we got ours finally listed live on Monday. Um, it's located in Greensville and uh, Hamilton. Greensville is a very desirable area. I knew it was a desirable area even before buying it, but I actually spoke to an appraiser yesterday. We got the property appraised as well, just in case, you know, as a backup or, or just mm-hmm. to either market it. If we need to refi it, ideally, we don't want to refi it, but it's better than keeping private money, right? So True. it's like, okay, yeah. have that option on there. Um, and the appraiser was even saying that this property in this particular location is ultra desirable because it's on on conservation land and you can't continue to build on there, right? Yeah. So people pay a crazy premium to live there because there's only a limited amount of houses there nearby a bunch of golf courses, hiking trails, so on and so forth. Um, and after speaking with their appraiser, I should be getting the report sometime today, but they said the value that they're thinking after adjustments would lie somewhere between um, low 1 million to 1.1 million. She said, expect that range. How much do you guys uh, buy it for? We bought it for 685. Damn. No, 680. Damn. No, but we put in a lot in renovations. Like 100? And our, um, no, more than 100 because oh. it's 22 or 2300 square feet. I don't remember. Was this the one with like three units or something like that? Or no, am I mixing it up? No, no, not three units. Okay. This is just, uh, this is just a regular single family home flip, uh, large house. And then we had to go with custom luxury finishes, right? Because it's a million dollar product in a great location. Um, but hopefully it, it does pay off. We're getting a lot of showings again. Um, and the main thing here is, is that the bottom to the top for this flip in terms of lowest value and highest value is spread of like 150 or 200 K. Mm-hmm. So that's the tough part, right? When you deal with these luxury products, you can't exactly say what market value is. Oops, sorry. I'm getting a call. Yeah. You uh, need the right buyer to come. That's going to, <laughs> yeah. that's going to pay top dollar, right? Yeah. And, and as we were speaking, I'm getting a call from uh best wildlife. Um, so basically we found a skunk in our, in one of the garages, right? So it's not like pest control issues or anything like that. It's just one skunk that was living there and you need someone to take that skunk out. Uh, I, I hope not. I'm not too sure actually, but (laughs) (laughs) the person filling up the, what we have a water tank there. So someone went to go fill it up. And they're just like, you know, the skunk living in the shed. I'm just like, shit. Okay. So like, oh, in, the gotta, shed. in the shed, in the shed, I'm bad. sorry. Yeah. In the garage, in the garage, okay. it's garage in the okay. garage. So we have to go and pull it out. But, uh, <laughs> man, like even after the flip's done, it's, it's never really done. There's small things here and there. It's right. Uh, up I'm excited the day to get this thing sold. Yeah. Our offer presentations on Monday. I'm very happy with the product. We'll see how it goes. Yeah. Um, but nonetheless, let's, let's jump to today's podcast episode. We've been going long and long enough with the preamble. In today's podcast, we have Mark Smith. Mark Smith is probably a name that you're familiar with, aka the 7-2 Mindset Investor. He also has his own podcast as well. We get into a variety of topics today, everything from mindset um, for, for real estate investors and how to overcome obstacles that your mind kind of limits yourself to, some different cool projects that Mark is getting himself into from development projects, multifamily projects, apartments, single family flips. He's doing it all. This is a very interesting episode. I don't think we actually dive into mindset as we do uh, as deeply in this episode. So this is something that you don't want to miss out on. Mayu and I got a ton of value from it, so I'm sure you will as well. Make sure to tune in. (laughs) 
Hello, everyone. We are joined with our very special guest, Mr. Mark Smith. Mark, how's everything going, man? Going great, man. Uh, thank you so much for the invitation to come on this uh, fastest growing podcast in Canada. <laughs> <You're> <laughs> well, like I don't know get... about that, but yeah. uh, no, it's been a long time. It's been a long time in the making. Um, we finally have you on. It's going to be an amazing episode. You've been featured in a couple of podcasts. You and Maya were just talking offline about um, how you're the mindset king. So I'm sure we're going to dig into that a little bit later on into the episode. Yeah, I think you're, you're one of the guests that we definitely should have had early on. And, and we're still working through all those where we're like, shit, we should have had this guy. How come we haven't had him? And so on. Right. So so, Mark, like I think everyone should know you, hopefully. But for anyone that doesn't, why don't you just give everyone kind of a quick background on yourself? Sure, absolutely. So uh, I appreciate that. I'm, I'm very flattered to be called a mindset king. I'm, I'm far away from that. Um, but I do invest in my mindset and I consider myself to be a mindset investor or a billion dollar mindset. And where that really came from was a real shift, a paradigm shift in how I looked at real estate. And I don't look at real estate as a, you know, the end all be all real estate for me is simply a vehicle. Getting the stocks is simply a vehicle. It's a vehicle to achieve, to get to our end game of what we want to do, but it was a mindset shift that actually has to happen. And so prior to getting into the real estate world, I mean, I, I worked in medical sales. I did over, I've done over $100 million in medical sales, or in sales in general, that is. Prior to that, I was actually working in a hospital, a respiratory therapist. And, but I mean, as I reverse engineer and I go back to the point, you know, if I connect the dots backwards, um, it was probably my 20s that really shifted me. And, and so, then um, I'm not sure if you want to get into this right now, um, but at that time as a respiratory therapist, I mean, I was 20 years old and I'd already killed seven people. And people look at me and saying, what the hell are you talking? You killed seven people. Well, I worked in a hospital setting. My responsibility was life support. So you talk about COVID with ICU ventilators and so forth. So I was a respiratory therapist. That was what I was supposed to manage. And I worked in adult intensive care, neonatal intensive care, and pediatric intensive care. Um, as much as we were working with the sickest patients in the country, uh, I was also the grim, the grim Reaper because I was the one actually turning off their last breath. Although it wasn't my decision, but it was me going in the room with the family and then turning off the patient's last breath. So, I mean, the youngest patient was uh, 14 days old. There was a seven-year-old child. So I've had mothers, you know, slap me on the chest and I've had fathers spit in my face. I've been threatened to death. I didn't have no way of unpacking that. Um, so I became a borderline alcoholic. Um, my friends go to the bar for, you know what? And I go there just to be in a corner and just drink and drink and drink to find a way of easing my pain. Cause I, I, I felt helpless. I got into healthcare cause I wanted to help people, but I felt, what am I doing here? Um, and because I wasn't able to unpack that, um, that came in through my relationships and so forth. So, and I take full ownership of that. So there's some breakdown of relationships and so forth. I did my medical sales, did lots of high ticket sales. It was very, very successful. But the thing is I had an, on the outside, but appeared I had an abundance of everything. I was an empty soul because it was just to fuel my ego. I mean, you know, my Tom Ford suits, my extensive watches, the 4,000 square foot home, all this stuff was just a big show. But I, internally, when I looked inward, I couldn't look internally because it was, this, it was emptiness. And so then through a marital breakdown, I got into real estate investing as, because, you know, as I say, you know what, real estate investing is, is one of the fastest vehicles, um, to, to increase your net worth because my net worth was completely obliterated. Like everything I built was gone instantly and still going. I mean, you know, you look at what legal bills and, and just, um, you know, you're talking the, about as a result of like lifestyle or you're saying as a result of like divorce. Okay. Divorce. Yeah. I mean, everything you, you, and then your legal bills. Um, mm -hmm. and so it just, it sucked me dry. 
So I got into real estate investing because I said, I want to do this because I need to increase my net worth again. But I was still a broken soul. I was still empty. And my mindset was completely shattered. So what happened was, is Austin, I actually took from what I was when I was 20 years old and that golden string took along to real estate investing. So I was all about the flex. How many doors do you have? Like, it was like, it's, it's almost like men. And I'm sorry for the females that are going to be listening. It's almost like men whipping down their pants and saying, let's come here. Shlong, so let's use a bigger real estate investor here. And it was a massive flex and ego came in a way of things as well. So ego meaning excessive attraction to identity. So that came into play. So I go to these meetups and I was just, my scarcity mindset would kick in and saying, you know, all these different things. And it wasn't until I hit rock bottom and that's where the shift actually had to happen. And it's where the whole mindset piece really came in. And it shifted the way I look at things. It shifted the way I do business. It shifted the way I do my joint ventures. It shifted the way I, I do anything. It shifted the way I live my life. Um, and that gives you some, some backstory of, of, of the, the hero's journey, as I call it, self-professed, where I thought I had it, hit rock bottom, and now coming out of it. So I'm just curious, like, I, I, cause I think you're saying, you know, it shifted your mindset, but what exactly like, does that mean? Right? Like how were you doing business before? What changed after you started to get like more educated in the mindset? Cause I think we all know that like real estate is a lot of like mindset, right? It's, it's like, honestly, I, I say it to everyone, like anyone can do real estate, right? Anyone could, it's, will you be able to kind of sustain yourself in real estate? Will you have the endurance with the hardworking and, and that all of that stuff is really mindset, right? So um, I'm just curious, like what changed and how did it change in your sure. business? Yeah. Everybody could do real estate. Uh, a dog that's missing two teeth and missing an eye and deaf can do extremely well in real estate in this marketplace. But what it comes down to is who has a stamina, who has the stamina? Anybody can get in a boxing ring, but you have the stamina to go 12 rounds. Michael Phelps is the most celebrated swimmer. I, I think I shared this in Andrew Hines's podcast. He's the most celebrated he's an Olympian. He can still drown in a pool. But his likelihood of drowning in the pool is becomes less likely because he's equipped himself. And so how mindset comes into play, it better equips us. So I, I see this and, I, and this is a real like hard line approach I have to all real estate investors is if you most are playing it for ego. But mm -hmm. if you don't think about the mindset piece and you cherish the relationships that you're building and realize this is an end game and you're going to nickel and dime people over real estate, you've just put a price. You just put a price on that relationship. So if, if I swindle, as I'd say, I'll say swindle, I'm not so the right word. Let's just say, as an example, I take five grand away from Austin Ye because I, I, Austin, no, you owe it to me and this kind of stuff. I just put a price on 5K for Austin. Yet, yeah. it's, it's not cool, right? So I, I just, so when it comes to mindset, it's a complete shift in thinking abundance versus scarcity. The mindset shift is not instead of taking, but giving. Lead with value. Yeah. Lead with value and, and your intentions have to be pure from day one. Hey, we all want to be successful in real estate investing. We all do. We don't get into this to lose, yeah. but stuff happens. But it's, it's, it's the stamina comes into play with investing with like-minded individuals. That's why I say like-minded individuals because stuff is going to happen. And you know, I've had JV partners. I refuse. I would never, ever JV again. And that, I take full ownership of it because I didn't trust and verify. I didn't trust and verify their mindset. Yeah. 
That that totally makes sense. I think Mike Tyson said it. Everyone has a plan until you get punched in the face, right? Absolutely. Um, and that's that's absolutely true. Not really with real estate, but everything in life in general. You have a plan. You think you're going to get from point A to B. Then things happen, and you can either choose to give up or you can continue going. Have that stamina to see it through till the end and have faith in yourself, right? So so that totally makes a lot of sense, Mark. And I want to kind of dig down into that. Um, so you did mention that early in your life with your career path, your career decisions, a lot of it was driven by ego and to fund a luxury lifestyle. And then you got into real estate and it became ego driven again. You thought you figured it out, but then you were like, the door count is what mattered. And then you hit rock bottom and pivoted and realized that there's more to real estate than just adding solely to your door count, right? Um, Is it true that you have to hit rock bottom to really have an open mindset and develop from there. Cause I feel like that's where you had the most phenomenal growth, where you realized you were at rock bottom and I need to turn things around. But for a lot of people, we might not necessarily hit that rock bottom. So what can we do to shift our mindset without having to, I mean, kind of go through that hero's journey that you exactly did? Or is there not a particular way to do it and you just have to learn through failure and fail big time? <laughs> Yeah. I think the best teacher is failure. I think that's the best teacher. So you don't have to go to the dumps where I was, where I was like, literally uh, at my lowest point, you know, as one of my mentors said, if it wasn't for my mindset shift, you know, most men would have gone and picked up a gun and put it between their ears and pulled the trigger. So having said that, I think really what comes into play with what, with what you're saying is I believe like people like, and I think that's why it's so important when I ask people why they got into real estate. What's your why? What are, you, what are you willing to fight for? Your very last drop of oxygen that you can inhale, what are you willing to fight for? And it could be different vehicles for it. It could be different seasons. And so does someone have to hit the lowest point? I don't believe so. But I believe we learn from failure. I mean, as real estate investors, like you see the flexing. Oh, look at this property I got. Look at the flip I got. Look how much money I make. It's like part of my expression. I'm not sure if I could swear on your podcast, but I'll swear all the time. (laughs) So it's like dumbass, dumbass. Why don't you take pride in showing people that, hey, you have failed and this is why you're being a successful flipper now? My first, my first flips, they were completely disasters. But you know what you do? You learn from that and you say, never again, never again. And this is, you're going to create your procedures, you're going to create your policies, you're going to create your processes. So, I look back and as reverse engineer, I go back to some of my early deals. I would have changed things a lot differently. But the only reason I'm growing the way I'm growing is because I continue to take action. I mitigate my risk like Michael Phelps by not drowning in the pool, by investing heavily in my mindset, investing heavily in mentorship. So my insurance is the investment I'm putting in my mindset. That's my insurance. So I've made a proclamation. I think I was mentioning this to Austin the other day is that I made a proclamation that I'm going to be investing $1 million on my mindset. Not properties. I'm not going to go and flex and, you know, and saying, oh, look how many doors I got for a million dollars. What I'm saying is the only ROI I have control over is my mindset. So I believe heavily in mentorship because the quality of one's life, and I said this in Andrew's podcast, the quality of one's life is going to be based on the quality of decisions they make. But the quality of their decisions they make are going to be based on the choices they make. The quality of the choices they make are going to be based on the questions they're asking themselves. Where I'm at, where I'm at and where I want to go, I don't even know what some of the questions I should be asking myself. So I need a mentor to look on the outside and saying, dumbass, you got to separate the trees from the forest. It's right in front of you. And as you can see, I'm very, very passionate about this. 
So let me ask you this, because because you're obviously investing a lot in your mindset moving forward. You've also invested a significant amount to date, probably. I have no idea how much it is, right? But um, a lot of like other investors, new investors, at some point in the journey, they always ask the question, do you need a coach? Do you need to work in the mindset? Or should you just take action? Right? And, yeah. and which end of the spectrum do you lie on that answer? Because you know, action curious. cures all. You can have all the mentors, but if you're not taking action, it's like getting a university degree or college degree and not in, in, in deciding like, I mean, my student loan lasted longer than my career choice. Right. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so, and so, um, so for me, I think that that's the important thing. And I, and I have full transparency. I've already invested over $300,000 in my mindset, mm-hmm. $300,000. And I actually have a list right here of other things I'm actually looking at. So this is where I am at, for example, and let's just say it's a new real estate investor. Let's just think about someone that's completely new in real estate investing versus a new hockey player. Okay. A hockey player needs a coach. Yeah. So why can't a new real estate investor need a coach? But their scarcity mindset's an issue. Oh, if I put money into this, it's going to affect my down payment in this. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Or I got to do this, but yet you invest in a mentor that is like-minded and someone you want to, that you want to emulate into becoming. Because there are some horrible coaches out there, by the way. So do your due diligence, trust and verify. And after trusting and verify, trust and verify four times after. Okay. That's my, my advice to the audience. But the thing is, is that a coach can then guide you and say, hey, have you thought about this? And they're asking those significant questions. I mean, my first coach was Corey McKinnon. That was my first coach. He opened my eyes. And then from there, I joined other masterminds. I joined other, other mentorships, other coaching and so forth. And that's always on my radar because I'm humble enough to realize that I'm still scratching the surface. On the outside, the flex is, oh my, Mark's doing all these different things in his real estate portfolio. He knows what's going on. I'm just scratching the surface because I'm unleashing my potential, but I needed someone to push those buttons. So to answer your question is, you know, I think they have to go in unison. Now, I'm not saying people have to go and directly get a mentor, but show up, go to the Rise Network meetups show up. You never know. The connection could be right there where someone says like, show up, don't sit at it, you know, and, and be transparent. Don't hide your cards. Don't hide your card like this. I don't want to tell people what they're doing because they're going to go steal the property or they're going to go take that mortgage from them. They're not because don't worry about it. Cause the people that are showing up at these events are the ones going to be more abundant. The ones that have the scarcity mindset are still at home because they don't want to share anything. And all they want to do is puff out their chest with how many doors they have. You know, yeah. And the reality is the person that has the most doors, just go to Home Depot. That guy selling the doors has the most doors than anybody. <laughs> right? Yeah. So I think they have to go in unison. Um, Mayu, when you ask that question, they have to go in unison. But mentorship doesn't have to be a coach. It can be in so many different capacities. Hmm. That's the trigger. It could be. I love that. Who you surround yourself with. Yeah, no, I know. I love that. So what you mentioned is, is that mentorship means nothing if you don't take action. And you gave an example, like just going to the Rise Network event or any single networking event, that's taking action, right? Because you might not have a mentor, but you'll go out there, meet like-minded people, chat with them, and that could lead to a mentor. That was my first mentor, right? I went out to events and I connected with Mike Rosehart um, and I did work with him for free. But I only got that opportunity by taking action and putting myself out there, connecting with other investors, and then eventually connecting with Mike. So love that you said that. That's all... Uh, that it's about when you start off is taking small little steps to get out of your comfort zone. And that's going to lead to more opportunity. If you don't take these steps, these opportunities are just never going to open up. Absolutely. Let me ask you this, Mark. 
Um, so you mentioned that you invested a lot in your mindset. So when you hire these coaches, what exactly are you looking for? Are you looking for a business coach to push you um, to your limits on the business aspect, a lifestyle coach? Um, what type of coaches are you hiring to help you with your business life and how you operate on a day-to-day basis? That's a great question. So the three of us, I consider the three of us to be high-performance individuals. It's never going to be good enough for us. We just don't sit still. It's never good enough. Um, that's being a high-performance individual. A high-performance individual needs to be pushed at all times because what happens is boring, boring for us is not good. We go crazy. If we're bored, it's not a good thing for us. We're gonna, it's, our anxiety is going to creep up. And I just know that the way our conversations are. So when I look at, you look at an F1 vehicle, you look at an F1 vehicle, there's multiple experts around that vehicle, multiple coaches and so forth. You look at Connor McDavid being an NHL, one of the top NHL players, he has multiple coaches, but they're specific to different areas for his performance. One could be a performance coach. One could be a nutrition coach. One is going to be a psychologist. One is going to be a speed coach. One's going to be an agility coach. One person is going to be, you know, um, his, uh, you know, I can just go down to this, his hockey coach. Like there's going to be so many different coaches around him that make him that super or that high performance. So for me, when I look at my mentors, yes, it's important to start with one or getting in a room. But again, I'm wired in such a way that I, 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 re- I look at myself and I look at my, I look at my wealth. I look at my finances. I look at my health. I look at my fitness. I look at my relationships. I look at my business acumen. I look at all these different things, spirituality, mindset. I look at these different things. So I'll actually hire coaches for each and every, every one of those areas. So I'm actually doing some uh, philanthropy work. I don't know much about philanthropy work besides donating to UNICEF or doing. So I'm actually like my end game. So I've actually hired an amazing coach that brings in the, the holistic approach of bringing in business acumen, bringing in wealth, but then taking it and pushing it towards more of a philanthropic, more like a philanthropy approach is, is the way I'm doing it because I don't have the answers and I'm lazy. I'm lazy because I don't want to seek the answers because the answers are there. I'll just pay to get them. That's actually, that's super cool. <laughs> I think the other part of it is when you've got like multiple parts of your life that you're trying to focus on. And you need to move every part of your life forward. You're essentially hiring a coach to help you hold yourself accountable to like, because it's very easy. You hire a business coach and you're all in on the business. And then as a result, your health, your, your, your relationships, all that stuff just goes to the shitter. Right. So I like your approach where you're just pushing yourself on all angles. That's definitely. And, and, and the thing is, I think it's really, really important. Like my business partner is Alex Solga and we have lots of projects on the go. And we, we joke about this, that we're seeing the biggest problems we've ever seen in our life. But it's the result of all the action we're taking. We have never taken this level of action. And what may cause us to have a sleepless night as entrepreneurs, a year from now, we'll be joking about it over, over, over a cup of coffee. Say, remember that time? Oh, yeah. And then next time someone comes to me saying, how do you deal with that? Oh, just do this, do this. And they said, that's too simple. Well, so for us, we have these coaches in all these different areas. And it's so, so critical. Hmm. I want to ask you this. So I was reading a book a, a while back. I want to say it was two years ago. Ego is the Enemy by Ryan Holiday. And one of the things that ego drives is, um, well, not necessarily taking massive action, but doing things that are out of your comfort zone, but to the point where it's also out of your skill set, knowledge and, and technical ability. How do you balance between the two? Right. Because one thing is you could mistake in mindset for ego. And I've done it before as well. Right. Where I'm just like, oh, like, so-and-so can do this. I can do this. I 
definitely didn't have the ability to get out of my comfort zone to do that. And I did it and I lost money as a result of it. I know it's a failure you learn as a result of that. But how do you balance the two knowing like, all right, like this is what I know now. This is what I should be able to do, but I'm going to shoot for much higher. But, you know, like if you shoot for high, there's a lot of risk to, to losing as well. Like, Where's the balance between the two and and what do you do to keep yourself at bay as well? Yeah. So, um, you know, I'm just trying to think of a, of a really amazing quote I, I heard the other day by Deepak Chopra. And it was like, awareness is like our is our birthplace of, of creativity. So we have to be self-aware, first of all, you know, and I think a lot of we have to and what, and awareness comes into play with mitigating our risk. So what, what I do is I think, I think of everything in odds. Okay. What is the likelihood of this falling off the tracks versus what are my potential losses are going to be? Let's face it in real estate. Are you going to lose a hundred percent? You buy a property, you're going to lose a hundred percent. Like let's right. Unless something very likely not (laughs) catastrophic, catastrophic, but can you still lose? Absolutely. So you got to mitigate that. So where my ego comes in, I look at ego. There's two ways to look at ego. One is a negative way, but then there's a positive way. And I look at the other positive aspect of ego as being self-aware. And before we can have self-acceptance of who we truly are, we have to have self-awareness. So we go these steps, self-awareness to self-acceptance, then self-regulation. Because, you know, it's too easy, Austin, for myself or most people is that we can go on this mindset shift. But why is it a continuous journey? Because it's too easy to get pulled back. It's too easy to get pulled into a conversation where people are gossiping and talking about the government. It's too easy to look at someone and saying, look how many doors they have. I only have these many doors. So it's this constant 24-hour battle to lean into the pain because on the other side of our pain is our purpose. So for me, I know my demons. I know my demons are there, but I'm not going to let my demons take over me, right? So I think it's this line, but it comes down to being self-aware. Yeah. And I guess that's, that's great that you have coaches as well to, to kind of help you, um, not only stay self-aware, but things that if you are taking that jump, they're able to be there to support you as well along that journey. Cause I assume for the most part that your coaches are probably ahead of, uh, where you are in your journey. My coaches are ahead of where I'm at my journey. And for my, his coaches are ahead of where he's at, at the journey, right? So when we take these risks as well, we have, people on our side to kind of guide us along the way. Um, no, what you said makes a lot of sense. What's important is like, there has to be a spread between yourself and your mentor. There has to be, because there has to be continued growth. And I've been in rooms where the mentees or the students, they grow so fast that they, they outgrow the room. And how do you outgrow the room is there's no spread. So one of my prerequisites when I'm hiring my coaches, I'm asking them, who are their coaches? Who are their coaches? And if they say, well, I don't have a coach. Well, that's a serious problem. And my general rule of thumb is, is that why should someone invest in me if I'm not investing in myself? Mm-hmm. If I'm trying to raise capital for deals, if I'm not investing in myself, why the hell should they invest in me? So I tell people, I tell people all this all the time is that, that that's what's critical. I've been in rooms, Austin, I've been in rooms where the, you get into a room where there's no spread. And then the moment you decide you need to leave that room, it's like, oh, if you're not in a room, you're against us. But you see the, the one side is the abundance talk on the outside, but the inside people are still dealing with their own BS. And I think it's nothing's more powerful when a mentor tells you saying, wow, 
Austin, but you guys have grown so much. I can't take you guys to the next level. I brought you guys here. It's time for you guys to go to the next room and get uncomfortable again. Mm. Mm -hmm. That's the power of a powerful, that's the, the power of knowing you have a great mentor is when a mentor says you're going way too fast in this or the same mentor saying, hey, you're not cut out for this room. You're not cut out for this room. You're not pushing on yourself because it's not the jobs. It's not the job of the mentor to do the work for them. It's yeah. the, it's the simple GPS. It's the GPS to give us the nudges to stay on the path to our goals and our journey. You know, a mentor, like I say, I've said before is, is, is GPS. Like how many times we're, we're, we're driving somewhere and the GPS says, turn right. And you're like, I'm not turning right. Look at the traffic on this road. I'm going to go straight. How many times do you end up being there later and full of anxiety? <laughs> I love these examples. They're so like relatable and so <laughs> like true life stories. So I, I love what you said there as well, that like your coach being, being coached as well. Um, cause if, if they're not constantly developing, like how could they essentially be pushing you to constantly, constantly develop as well. Right. It sounds like, yeah, they might have a, a mindset where they think they know everything, right. Yeah. So they don't need any more coaching. Absolutely. And that's why, that's why I've made that point before is like, if someone's looking for coaching and mentors, like trust and verify, do your due diligence. If someone's left a mentorship group, find out why they left. And it's not just the people that stay in a room. Find out why they left. Like I, Corey, Corey was, was, was my start. And anybody that asked me about Corey, I'm like, hey, if you're looking at it and you're serious, Corey's the guy. If, if, you're, if your thing is real estate, you know, go for it. Like I, 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 don't, I, think, I think in abundance. But if I feel that there's a, a, in my personal opinion, I tell people to trust and verify, I'm not going to bash other mentorship groups. I'll just tell them, want to speak to the people that are in the room anymore to find out what can be improved. So if you decide to go in that room, bring it to the table up front saying, I've heard of this, 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 and this, and this. I want to join, but I'm concerned about this. Yeah, no, those are some great mm -hmm. tips there, Mark. Um, I want to kind of shift the conversation a little bit um, outside of just coaches because books are very important as well. Yes. Um, and for some people who can't afford that mentorship program right now, and I don't want to encourage anyone to pull from like clients of credit or anything just mm -hmm. yet for of mentorship. Um, but... For those people who just don't have the funds for mentorship at this very moment, what can they do to help continue with their self-development and mindset? Were there any particular books, podcasts, of course, your podcast, which we'll link down in the show notes below. But is there anything that people can do now to take actionable steps to grow their mindset? Sure. So the first thing is show up, show up. You know, that's that's going to be the number one thing is show up to the meetups. And if the you know, if things are shut down, then find another way to show up. Could be joining in a Zoom call. That could be a great way of doing it. If you don't know what meetup to go to, want to create your own meetup saying, hey, I'm hosting an event here, a bunch of real estate investors and have people come see you. So you're there and it gives you an opportunity. Host the party. Who doesn't want to go to a party? And I'm not saying a party to get hammered and all the other stuff. I'm just saying hosting an event. Um, that's one way. Two is your books. Absolutely. There's so many books, but I mean, the book I've always tell people to first start with is a slight edge or the compound effect. Okay. Because it's, it's a small steps and it's about being consistently consistent. That's, that's what it comes down to. It's about being consistently consistent. Um, three is I tell people to do Dean Graziosi's Your Seven Levels Deep Why. Find your why. Find what, what you're doing for. Find out what your, your conviction is for. Um, four is, like you said, podcasts. Five, it's working with a power team and putting a team together. like. They say the, there's, a, there's a saying by this, you look at Elon Musk, you look at uh, Steve Jobs, you just look at um, you know, uh, Warren Buffett and so forth. 
they, they take pride in being the dumbest people in the room. Why? Because they, they surround themselves with smarter people than them in smarter areas. So they can focus on, on the vision, not focus on the details. So it's important when you're getting these things is realizing is there's going to be people with answers and I need to get around those people. Okay. YouTube is another way, you know, but the thing is where I'm going with this is being intentional and where it comes from again, is let's go back to what I said before. One, someone has to take self-acceptance and they have to realize things. So they have to be self-aware before that. And then they have to have a self-regulation. Okay. Um, so these are the things I suggest to do now. And I, and I totally echo your comment, uh, Austin, with respect to, you know, making sure like you don't, you're not squeezing a due diligence and you're maybe getting, you know, do you do it before he's telling money out of the line of credit? I'll give people my example. And I'm not going to tell people this is the example to use, but this is the example I did. I was on my knees at a breaking point. But I was, my back was against the wall. And I said, I've done all of this all my life and look what I have to show for it. Um, and yeah, I was blessed. I had, you know, at the time I had two wonderful children and that kind of stuff. But beyond that, what do I have to show for? Yeah, I mean, I have, an, I have my insurance. So if something happens to me, the kids will be wall, wall protected. But what else do I have to show for? And so I essentially, I remember going to one, one, one mentorship group and I literally took three different credit cards because they were all maxed. And I put these credit cards together so I could join a mastermind group. And within, within three months, now I had the information that I was able to do the burr. And not only did I get all my investment back that I did with my renos, my down payment, all that stuff, but I was also able to pay for this mentorship group and have much more to buy the next property. Mm -hmm. So again, the, for those listening, don't be reckless. That's my advice. Don't be reckless and ask around. Like I said, ask, ask Mayu, ask Austin, ask me, hey, what are some good masterminds to be part of? We'll be blunt with you guys. It's so true. And even if you think about what school does as a financial institution, we're all just putting shit on our OSAP and our student line of credit in the hopes of eventually earning more, right? So it's not far off, but I, I, you know, there's obviously kind of like snake eyes, like salesman tactics that have applied in the real estate industry for so long, right? But yeah. Um, so, so Mark, like taking him back, I think to the real estate side as well, because a lot of what you said is, is super applicable. I think a lot of people are going to relate to a lot of people are going to learn from it. Um, I'm just curious, like, since you've made this mindset shift, how has that impacted your real estate? Like, um, and this could be the individual partnerships. It could be your own personal growth. And I'm not talking about like unit count or anything like that, but like, has it changed your strategies? Um, what's the change in your overall like business? If yeah. you pinpoint like a few things there. Yeah. Let, let's, let's go to the real estate side first. Because that's why this is a real estate podcast. So, <laughs> uh, so let's start there. So what it did was, so prior to me really investing my mindset, I mean, I already had a portfolio of rental properties. Um, I had some, you know, some JVs that I, I wouldn't do again. Other ones were very, very good. Um, you mentioned that again before. So I'm just curious now, like what, like what makes a joint venture good or bad? Because I don't think we've ever talked about that in this podcast. Yeah. And, 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 and I'll get to that. I'll get to that yeah. for sure. Okay. Um, which is very important. Um, and there's JVs. I've had really good JVs of people, but I probably wouldn't do a JV with them, with them again, not because they're bad people and not because one of us got burnt is just, we're, we're going in different, different areas and what our focus is. That's all. But yeah. I mean, they need my support. I'll help them out. Right. But, um, so I had this and then, then this whole transformation stuff happened through my marital breakdown. What happened was, is I'm going to get really deep with people is, um, I was dealt the atomic bomb of divorce cases. The atomic bomb of divorce cases is allegations of domestic abuse. Mm. 
So I was hit with that. And sadly, there's a lot of domestic violence out there. And it's, 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 it's really, it really hurts when you hear about it and that kind of stuff. But in this case, this was used against me um, for self-serving needs. And that's okay. So um, that put me in a real tough position with my company I was working for. Um, put me in a tough position with a lot of friends I had uh, and so forth. Um, but it really... it. it did jeopardize how I was looking at my lens of everybody. And I felt like I, I had that whole victim mentality. It was all caving in on me. Why is this happening to me? All that stuff and so forth. And through this journey, if we were to look at the parallels of the, of the curves between mindset and real estate, they're very, very equal. Um, and so at that point, I realized quickly that I could see the writing, you know, the writing in the sand in that going to the buy and hold portfolio that I had how many properties would I need in order to replace my income? And at the time, my income was, was extremely high. So I would probably need to own most of, of, of Hamilton in order to, to, to get to that point with cash flow, and especially with all the negative cash flow in some of these deals, right? Um, and only $100 cash flow. So I quickly realized this is not going to suffice. So I need to find another way. So what I did was I made a, a shift in my business structure, my strategy. So I made a shift towards flips and wholesale. Okay. So the ideal was a wholesale and you just keep the best wholesale, the rest type of mentality. So I started with that because it didn't require a lot of time, but it was going to be an influx of funds up front that then I can take into my business. So from that, we did, you know, your wholesaling, we did our wholesaling, we did flips. Um, but I stayed away from the buy and hold at the time because we were trying to generate revenue to run the business. Mm -hmm. And then from that point, we've now in our real estate portfolio, the mindset shift was before it was like, well, I can't do this. I, I don't know how to do this, but it was again, that mindset thing. Cause as much as I've invested in my mindset, it's like, here we go again. The scarcity mindset kicks in and it's like, you got to punch yourself in the head saying, get through it, get to someone who has the answers, for example. So we started doing uh, multiple flips. Uh, so we've done like luxury flips. We've done your regular flips. We've done our, 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 our simple lipstick flips and that kind of stuff um, to where we're doing, like to give you just an, an, an idea of the type of volume that we're doing um, compared to where I started two years ago, uh, we're working on, uh, we just, we're actually locked up 63 acres uh, where mm -hmm. we're doing uh, 28 lots, a new builds. We actually currently have another subdivision where we actually have three of the four properties are actually pre-sold. So we're doing new builds there. Uh, what we've also done as well is we have three other new builds that are happening. One's in Huntsville, one's in Port Carling, uh, one's on Lake Joseph. Uh, someone said to me, oh, just around the corner is Kevin O'Leary's house. I'm like, holy shit. Um, <laughs> that's awesome. Yeah, so, so when you buy a teardown for about a million bucks, that tells you everything right there, right? Yeah. Um, and um, so we have that going on. And then we have our, our, our high-end luxury flips ongoing as well. So I think we have, what, three of those ongoing. And then we're waiting to close on another one that was supposed to be closed on um, that it's been finished and so forth. Just to give you scope on top of that. So you can see what we've done on that front. So now you have this, this income. But what we're doing is we're actually shifting this. So we're doing the, the opposite approach of what YouTube said or HGTV, which has become a landlord first. We're taking those funds and we're putting it into passive streams. So we've invested into other businesses. Uh, we're actually in the process. It's supposed to happen today. I, I believe this podcast will probably come out in a month or two. So by then it'll be old news. Uh, we're actually working with our partners and taking a 29 unit building down today. Uh, it's supposed to close today. And then next week, uh, or actually in two weeks, we're closing on a uh, 12 unit building. 
So what we're doing is we're making a shift here. We realize we need to have that active income going, but we need that going to put that into, into other assets. But the other thing that's going to be very, very important for the investors listening is banks like assets. Mm-hmm. It's the mitigation of their risk. Banks like assets. So if you're only thinking about doing one strategy, and that's fine, do it right, but have a strategy where you're going to park those funds. Don't go buy the Lamborghini or the Ferrari with it. Don't you know what I mean? Like this is simply my counsel. Put that into something where then you can get that gain from because there's there's different mortgage products that there's equity on there. You could do like a collateralized mortgage, you could do a portfolio lend, like OPM. Yeah, we're we're on the same strat, uh, like on the same mindset um in terms of generate your income, make high income, right? Start a business and use that to buy assets. You don't use that just to fund a luxury lifestyle. That's not gonna get you anywhere. Right. So I love that you said that's the same thing with us in the wholesaling business. We get deals, we get flips going and literally the majority of that income, if it's not reinvested in the business, it's reinvested into assets. So love, I love that mindset. And I I think we see a lot of this on on social media as well, because everyone's, you know, cash flow matters, right? Like cash flow is what's going to protect you in a down cycle. It's going to protect you from losing your pants one day, potentially, hopefully. Right. Um, but we all, you know, build up a portfolio of cash flowing assets and then we we quit, but it's not like we're gonna do nothing, right? Like you're gonna be super bored if you just quit your job and you just sit at home and do nothing. And cash flow is great, but you need to keep generating high active income, which you can then funnel into your your real estate portfolio, right? And sure. as long as you don't give into a lifestyle creep, and <laughs> I'm literally in the process of giving into lifestyle creep right now, but still like it's part of the process, right? And I think if we I think the important thing there is also that you you made active business income. I'm sure you invested a good chunk of that back into real estate, but you're also investing a good chunk of that back into your own development. So you can continue to generate even more active business. Sure. It's a full cycle, right? It's a full cycle. And you know what? I'll tell the audience as well, which is important. If you spend a dollar and you're able to make $4 back on that dollar, is it a good investment? Yeah. Hell yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so all, a lot of what I just shared there, I, if I've inve- I plan on investing $1 million in my mindset, right? That's far I've already invested $300,000. And I can tell you, it's not four times what I've gained back from that. Because I'm simply still scratching the surface. I mean, we, have, we bought plots of land out in Belize. Um, you know, there's, I have Airbnb stuff going on. Like we've invested in businesses. Like we have, we have this big picture in mind um, because we're from believers, five for life. Go hard for the next five years to create the lifestyle we want. And see, in my area too, is like, I had the lifestyle. I had the, I had that lifestyle. I had the tuxedo parties. I had the bottles of crystal. I had that. Where I am now, man, like I choose fulfillment. I don't choose happiness. Mark, you don't smile. I'm like, that's a reflection of you, brother. I'm smiling a lot inside because I'm content. I'm fulfilled. I choose loneliness versus emptiness. Mm, that's deep. Yeah. We're literally sitting here thinking about it as Mark's saying all this stuff. It takes a minute to digest it. It's like, holy shit. (laughs) On the business side of things. So you have a lot going on, um, which is amazing. So how are you balancing all of these things? And uh, what's what's kind of the process in terms of funding all of these different avenues of of flips, development, so on and so forth? Sure. Uh, Great question. So it really comes back to the team. I'm blessed that we have an amazing team and everybody feel like everybody in the company takes ownership of the company. So we have entrepreneurs and we have intrapreneurs. Okay. The next thing is, is there has to be clear vision, clear vision. There has to be clarity. There has to be core values. 
our core values are very simple. Integrity. Like your core values becomes your HR department. Your core values is what should be the first property analyzer that has to, a property should go through. So number one is integrity. Number two is fulfillment. Number three is growth, but personal growth. Our team, we invest heavily in personal growth. And number four is profit. People get scared of putting profit as one of your core values. When, I'm, when we're raising over $2.5 million on projects, you would think a private investor or a private lender is going to make sure that you are looking for profit. Right. Right? So we look at profit. And what the whole thing about profit is, is like it's not to fulfill our lifestyle. It's to fulfill the lifestyle of our investors too. So then next comes, it's going to come down to your, your processes. But like Austin said before, Mike Tyson's favorite quote is everybody has a plan until they get punched in the teeth or they get punched in the face. So you can have all the processes, but you're going to have to adapt or you're going to die. There's always adaptation. So for us, we have, you know, and it's all, we're always massaging, we're always massaging things. Um, so the way that our business, our business is, is I, I call myself the acting CEO. I'm acting CEO because I've never been a CEO. I'm just simply acting CEO because I can oversee our different businesses and so forth. And I know what my limitations are. My business partner, Alex Soloka, he's the president. And he's going to be more into the action because that's what he loves. Okay. Um, then what we do is we split up our business in different tiers. So for example, our passive approaches, that's my responsibility. The active approaches becomes Alex's. And then we make sure that our employees and our partners work around us or, or in, uh, within our umbrella. What we also do is the most important thing for any business or anything in life, you talk about your relationship at home is communication. We're okay with over-communication because you know what? When you have over-communication, it takes away over-assuming, over-assumptions and assumptions kill. Assumptions kill business. So every day at 9 a.m., it's a standing order. We have a group call. It's a video call and we get right to it. What are the key tasks for the day? What needs to be done? Who needs help? Then what we do at the end of the call, we actually end the call that everybody has to go and express what they're grateful for and what their affirmations are in their personal life or business. So what we do is this is how we do this because it has to come back to the being the grace, not the gaps in the business, but the grace of the business. And then yeah. once we have that mission going and we do that, then, then that's how our business has basically evolved. And we're changing every day. Like, for example, my business partner is out in Florida uh, right now. Um, he took a private jet with Sean Allen last week, which is really cool. But he's there right now. We're dividing and conquering. I have to do some traveling next week on our apartment acquisitions. It's okay. He's down in the Key, in the key West. I'm going to be cold in the snow. It doesn't matter. But we have to divide and conquer. Um, and that's basically how we structure a business. But it really comes down to communication. It comes down to having processes in place and always changing those processes. I'm going to admit that my attention to detail is horrible. It's so low. Like I know we do this predictive index um, that you guys are aware of. It's so low. It's like 10 pages away. But my ambition and, and my ambition is so off the charts on this side, right? So when we're employees, I'm not sure if you guys remember this back in the olden days, when we're employees, they tell you, you got to focus on your weaknesses. You got to improve your weaknesses. It's like, no mofo. If my strength is bringing in $10 million into this company and we want me to work on my weakness, don't you think it makes better sense for me to focus on my strength because I'm not there yet? Yeah. You're pulling me back. And by pulling me back, you're holding back the company's growth and the company's revenue. But they have their own scarcity mindset saying, 
hey, Mark is horrible at paperwork. Mark is horrible at, at inputting things in the CRM. Why don't we hire someone at $20 an hour, part-time, where we may have to pay them, let's just say three grand a month or $2,500 a month, but Mark's bringing us $100,000 a month. That's a damn good ROI. Yeah. Let me ask you two questions on the business side, just because at this point, myself and Allison are just using this opportunity to just pick Mark's brain. <laughs> but Mark, like, how do you A, go about finding people to hire that you want to hire within your company? Um, and B, are you hiring people under kind of like an umbrella where they're going to work on multiple facets of your businesses? Because you guys have that, the passive and the active and even within active flips and all sales, or are you hiring people on a per business niche kind of like type individuals? Yeah. So right now it's, it's, as a, any small business at the beginning, you, everybody's wearing different hats. They're wearing multiple hats. Just like, for example, if uh, someone opens up a donut shop and they're the baker, but they can't, they don't have any, they're the baker, but they're also the cashier. They're also the cleaning staff and that kind of stuff. So E-Myth Revisited is a great example of that, where you basically put post-it notes of everybody in the company and start filling them in. Uh, Matt McKeever, uh, one of my previous mentors as well, and he used to always say that and put a dollar value of what that, what that role is. Mm. Right. So it takes away the guesswork. Just put a dollar value. Is that an hourly wage? Is it a salary? Whatever it is. Um, so that's the way we structured that. And then within our business, we have um one of our employees. She's able to move between both paths, but it's but there's a lot of direction. A lot of direction. Um, and we're we're constantly adjusting or revisiting the job description because we want to remove the assumptions. Okay. All the positions in our company are simply acting. And they're simply acting because we're a growing company. Each one of our people may need to hire another five people one day. We don't know. Mm. Okay. So that's the one aspect. Okay. Um, two is the partners you bring into the company. So we're, we're building homes. We're building homes. But we've had strategic partnerships with our amazing partners that actually have their cherry on license. Right. So not only are they doing a great job on the renovations and construction, but then they, they have an equity play in the, in, the, in, the, in the business. So do you think we have cost runoffs? Do you think the projects, they don't show up to do the job? They have a piece of the pie. We just took this from Mark Cuban. Hey, would you rather want the whole grape or a piece of the watermelon? So that's the abundance. It's like, I can't believe you're giving this much away, but look at how we're scaling. All right, Mark. I think that was a great episode. I think we covered a lot of different topics there. Um, and unfortunately, we're going to run out of time. So I got to ask you, there are three kind of questions that we generally ask our guests at the sure. end of an episode. So Mark, um, where are we going to be seeing you five years from now? Personal, business, like what's the end goal? Because you said you had the five, What you said it really nice. Uh, what was it? Five years to life or something like that? Five to life. Five years to life. Yeah. Oh, yeah. So one of, the, one, of the, one of the projects I'm working on is um, I talked about my situation. So philanthropy is a big thing. Um, where I'm going to go with this, I don't want to ruffle any feathers. Um, people are lost right now. Okay. People are lost right now. Um, specifically men. A lot of men have lost their manhood. They feel they've been castrated by circumstances and so forth. And I'm not, I'm not going into an anti-feminist. No, I'm not saying that at all. And I believe in all that. What I'm saying is men are lost right now. Talking to many women, they talk about their spouses. They talk about their brothers. They talk about, and they just see that they're lost. They don't know what they want to do with their life. And so one of the big things that I'm really pushing towards and I'm working with my mentors on is creating a space for men to get their business acumen back, to get their confidence back, to get their charisma back, to get their grooming back, 
it's not about growing a, a big ass beard, not putting on deodorant and showing a woman who's boss. I don't, that's not my thing. My thing is bringing that chivalry back. How to treat people right, male or female? How to treat your parents right, male or female? It doesn't matter. So I'm working on this project and the project I'm working on is going to serve. It's so our, the demographics I'm working on are between 25 to 43 years old. Here's a stat for you. In India, for example, um, out of the number of suicides, how many do you think are actually men versus women? I would assume, uh, yeah, well, since you're asking the question, I'm going to say men, but normally I would have assumed <laughs> women. <laughs> yeah. What percentage would you say is men then? Now, maybe like 60%? 60, yeah. Yeah, yeah it's, six, it's 67%. Okay. Of those, and you can, of those, how many are actually married or were married? Same thing, 60, 70? 86%. Oh, wow. Wow. So people are, so what I'm trying to do here is I want people to get that, that chivalry back, like almost like Peaky Blinder style. Like, I'm not saying go gangster on people, but get that inner confidence. I lost that. It was, it was, it was, I let it, I let it be stripped away from me. So what I want to do is I want to be able to help people, male, female in the world to get that back. So my, in three to five years, um, I have ambitious goals. Um, and it won't even happen in three to five years. I'm saying in the next year, two years, like we're going hard. Um, you know, uh, if I look at who our mentors are today, I could tell you right now, if he's still alive, Sir Richard Branson will be one of my mentors. I love that. I love it. That's your sense of purpose guiding your massive action that, that continues to push you forward, right? Like that's your do or die reason of, of why you're doing all of this and pushing yourself to the limit. So that, that's a phenomenal goal you have there, Mark. The second question here is, is that if you won $10 million and you had seven days to spend it and you cannot spend it all on real estate, I'm thinking you're probably not the person to spend it all on real estate anyways. Um, how would you spend it and why? If I won that, so, and I couldn't use it for real estate. So of course I'd want to give to those that have been there for me, help them going as well. Um, that'd be the critical, but not to, not to take away their pain, but to relieve some of it because I believe you need to pain to get to your purpose. Um, a big chunk of that would be more mentorship, mm. more mentorship, because if I've invested so much so far and sort of given me this. Can you imagine, can one imagine if you went to Elon Musk and saying, Hey, Elon Musk, I'm going to spend, I want to spend a month with you. I'm going to give you $10 million. Could you imagine what you can come out of that with? Very true. Even a day with a lot of people and just have someone like dissect your business would be pretty, pretty astronomical. That's cool. Okay. I'm excited for your answer for the next question. So if you could have dinner with anyone dead or alive, who would you choose and why? Uh, I've been asked this question before and, um, on another podcast as an American podcast, you know, I was actually surprised with my answer. I'm going to keep my answer the same. I'm going to say my grandfather. Um, as I get emotional here. So I never met my, actually I met my grandfather once and, um, man, they had it all. They had it all. They lived in, uh, you know, being of Indian descent, they went to Africa and my, one of my grandfathers, um, had so much wealth, had so much wealth you know, they would have Rolls Royces. They would have like, you name it. And I'm going back how many years they owned a lot of properties. They, they ran the whole downtown markets in East Africa to the point where they would take American bills and put tobacco and smoke them. Okay. Wow. But, and, and that's not for uh, uh, like to, to show off. This is like an ego thing to do that. That's why you're doing that. This is to show the world something end up losing it all. End up losing it all. Um, how did they lose so, it all? Um, ego, you know, people pleaser, having to show other people. 
So the reason I would choose him is to say, what would he have done differently? What would he have done differently? Mm -hmm. Because that's someone who's been to the top and is now at the bottom, right? Um, And you don't keep the top position by living without purpose and doing nothing, Yeah, right? That's how you lose it all. So that that makes a lot of sense. Thank you for being super transparent, Mark. Um, Not only with that answer, but throughout this entire podcast, because I I would think this is probably our most relatable podcast, uh, a podcast episode that um, I think will be a lot of people's favorite episode, just because we're so real, so down to earth. Um, You shared the lowest of the lows, but how you were able to climb out of that. So it's been very inspiring. And to think it's only been less than three years since you fully committed on this journey and the progress you've made in less than three years. It's absolutely mind-blowing. And I'm sure that the next year, two years, is going to be even more exponential growth for you. So if people do want to reach out uh, to you, chat with you, or hear more of your content, how could they do so? The easiest way is just you know reaching out to me on Instagram. It's at uh, 72mindsetinvestor. So at 72mindsetinvestor. Um, that'd be the best way. And, and I'm pretty good at, at connecting with people and reaching back to people and so forth. Um, I mean, I do have a whole team that also uh, manages my, my social media, my branding and that kind of stuff. But I'm very intentional in making sure when people reach out, I do try to reach out to them myself. That's awesome, man. So all of your information, um, your podcast, uh, your Instagram, all of that good stuff, it will be in the show notes below. So make sure to reach out to Mark. Give him a follow if you haven't already. He has tons of great content. I think he put out content multiple times a day. Um, so there's a lot of resources there. And um, as always, guys, if you enjoyed this episode, make sure to like, subscribe, comment, follow it, do whatever you can to support it because that helps bring amazing guests like Mark out. And Mark, I'm sure when we have you back on the podcast, you have you would have probably done 10 times the amount of things. So we're going to have a lot more to dive into the next time you're on this podcast. I really appreciate you jumping on. Until next time, everyone, invest smarter and live better. Mm-hmm.